Oh, no. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Oh, No with Anna Campion. It's me, your host, Anna Campion, and I'm joined today by the lovely Daya. Hi, thanks Hi. for having me. I should have asked this before because we were we were chit chatting away, but Daya is how you pronounce your name. You got it. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. Perfect. Okay. And it's Anna, not Anna. It is Anna, not Anna. Yes, it's it's the Americanized version. It's not. I had a um. My full name is Anna Campion, as the podcast title suggests, and I had a, <laughs> I had a teacher in second grade who. Uh, like first day she goes, Anna Campion. And I was like, no, it's, <laughs> it's the hard A's. It's Anna Campion. It's, it's the Midwestified version of, uh, of, of that very French slash Italian sounding name. Love it. Well, mine also is Americanized mm-hmm. because people won't be able to say the, the sound in my name. Right. So Daya is fine. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have, um, my, my friend, um, Abby, uh, it's, it's kind of the, it's the same thing. And like yeah. one day I was teasing him about something and he was like, well, you don't even pronounce my name right. And I was like, oh my God, crisis averted in the friendship. <laughs> no, he's, he's a, a lovely, lovely guy, but, uh, I think has, I think cause he, uh, so you have like the DH and he, his full name is, uh, Abimanyan and he it's a B H. So I think it's the same kind of yes. like, uh, sort of similar, like, I guess, phonics yes. <laughs> to, to the, to the duh sound that you were talking about, mm-hmm. um, that us weak-minded white people are not, um, equipped <laughs> to deal with. Well, you know what? It's totally okay. It's not just I, I don't, I, you know, I, I feel, I feel like I'm on Twitter right now. It's not all white people, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> Also, like my parents are immigrants and I had this friend, Jennifer, growing Mm -hmm. up and she came over all the time and they just gave her a different, easier to pronounce name. Yeah. So so I'm like, I feel like if a certain thing is not the language that you're used to speaking, be patient with people and also uh, don't give them a weird nickname that they didn't ask for just because you're scared of saying their name. So I'm just going to call you Dana. No, 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 no. (laughs) I'd rather you did. This is is exactly, exactly the, the, the thing that happens to people with like names like that. People will Mm -hmm. say stuff like that, but you made an attempt to say it properly. So I appreciate you already. And you know what? And thank you for pointing out how amazing I am as an ally (laughs) to uh, people of color. I really appreciate that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we're we're gonna put you on our on our leaderboard for the next yeah. game. Yeah, on the on the DEI board for uh for uh you know diversity and inclusion and stuff. Yes. Um thank how you. Are you. How are you today, Daya? Uh I'm good. I am in Northern California in San Francisco. It's a sunny day, and today is the Lunar New Year parade, which oh. was canceled last year. So I'm gonna go. That's awesome. That sounds like a really good time. Yes, I'm excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so please tell my captive audience a little bit about you. Like what, what, uh, how do you spend, how do you spend your days? I am slash was a stand-up comedian. And I say that because uh, when the pandemic first hit, uh, I was not standing up. We were Zoom <laughs> comedy 
So the whole thing that the the thing that's in your title as your job title, Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't doing it. So uh, comedy during the pandemic was strange. You couldn't tell if you were doing well or not. But as things have opened and closed and opened and closed, I'm doing more shows. So I'm a comedian. I'm also a comedy writer, uh, which is also how I make my living. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm very excited because uh, I have a comedy album coming out, which means if people are don't want to go out and listen to live comedy, they can listen to people laughing at a live show in mm-hmm. the past in their own living room. Yeah. In the in the comfort of their of their own comforter, as it were. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's that, I like that because it's harder to say with duvet. You can't be like the the, the dopeness of your duvet. I like comfort of your comforter better. Well, I'll be honest. I think anyone who calls it a duvet instead of a instead of a uh, comforter, I feel like they're almost trying to like prove something to me. And I'm kind of like it's we we all grew up here in America calling it a comforter. No one called it. No one called it back yes. in my day. No one called it a duvet. Um, and yes. I just I just feel like you know we honor our roots. it's kind of like that substitute teacher making your name sound frenchified yes Uh, it's a comforter why are we using duvet but but sometimes they sell it online as a duvet cover Mm -hmm. yes i bought a duvet cover um and you know how you can and you know what i think part of it is i think they market it as a duvet cover instead of a comforter cover number one because i think it sounds better but also because they're super fucking annoying to get on and off just like the yes. name duvet is kind of annoying you yes. know what i mean <laughs> like it's it's very high maintenance Absolute. it's very like like it's very like oh but you, now you have to tie me but i'm not gonna stay exactly where you tied me like i'm gonna kind of move around i don't know i just like that there's a little bit of room in here and you're like that's not your job your job isn't to move around yes I I agree with you. I think you've brought attention to uh, a different kind of bedding irritation because most Mm -hmm. people just focus on the fitted sheet. Mm -hmm. And at this point, being mad at the fitted sheet is passe. Yes, we don't know how to fold it. It, It's played. It it doesn't stay on the bed. There's elastic. We don't know which side is which. But I think focusing on the duvet, uh, you know, uh, cover is is definitely punching up. So I think uh, that should be what we talk about. Yeah, listen, like Brooklinen, for example, has made their living convincing everyone that they need a duvet cover. And I will say, I do find it useful in its, in its you know, function, which is to keep my comforter from getting dirty. But it's not it, like, you know, everyone needs a fitted sheet. If you don't have a fitted sheet, it's like we can we can, you know, laugh about the fitted sheet until the cows come home. But at the end of the day, everyone needs to put it on. But a duvet, you know, it's 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 like, it, yeah, I agree. It is punching up. It's it's making fun of uh, the the haves versus the have nots. Yeah. And the duvet is on top, too. Mm-hmm. It's it's the highest up in the in the bedding chain. It's higher even than the human. Maybe yeah. not the animal that sleeps on the duvet, but no, definitely. <laughs> No, it's, it's definitely lower than the cats and dogs higher than the human, but it's, it's the highest maintenance of all the, of all the, uh, bedding in my opinion. 
Agreed. Yes. Now mm. we've written part of my Netflix special, Perfect. which is punching up at duvet. Perfect. Yeah. That's I'm cool with you using the joke as long as I get a, a co-writing credit. Absolutely. hundred <laughs> percent. Because this is this, I can just tell this is a joke that no one would ever ask me to cut off of a debut special. They would, this, no. this is, we need to have this in there. It's, it's very, um, uh, Mitch, Mitch Helberger esque in, in my Mitch Hedberg, Mitch Hedberg. Yes. Sorry. I no. I, I like, I like that you elongated his name because as a person with a long name, mm-hmm. people try to shorten my name and you just gave him extra syllables. Again, you have earned another ally point. Wow. And, and Mitch Hedberg was a white guy. So that's really impressive that I was able to do that while, uh, hanging out with a white guy. I think so. If you mispronounce <laughs> a white guy's name, you are, you gain points as an ally. So thank you. Thank you. Okay, for your- Thank you. And, and uh, I'd like to thank all of my, um, my, uh, fellow allies. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's me, uh, the recently passed Betty White. Um, and of course, Jane Fonda. Sure. Oh, wait, <laughs> Jane Fonda passed away. No, no, no. Betty White. Oh. Oh, thank you. No, Jane oh, Fonda's fine. Jane Fonda's fine. Oh, knock, knock on wood. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't mean a war of the worlds, everyone, with <laughs> with uh, the potential of Jane Fonda. If someone just tunes in and out for just like thirty seconds, and it's like, yeah. did you hear? You can cut that. You can cut my reaction. I I, I overreacted. Sorry. No, that's okay. Um, so you're a, a you know a stand up, sit down in your house comedian and uh, a comedy writer and you have a comedy album, which is super, super exciting. And we'll give more details on that at the end of the show. Um, but, you know, this is the podcast about embarrassing stories. So what what is getting embarrassed like for you? Are you a person that gets easily embarrassed? Are you a person that does not get easily embarrassed? Kind of like what's your what's your relationship with shame, as it were? So after being a comedian for so long, there's just so much inherent shame in telling all these people, hey, I made a funny thing. Please make a noise when you see <laughs> and hear me, please. And if they don't, uh, it, it is embarrassing for everyone, for the comedian, for the audience, for the staff. Uh, you work here. You you support this. So you kind of have to uh, be OK with uh, those things that would normally give people a lot of shame or embarrassment. And right. also, whenever things happen now where I've done something or where something has happened that is kind of shameful or makes me upset, uh, maybe I'll feel something for a millisecond, but then I'll be like, oh, I need to talk about this on stage. So right. it's a great way of dealing with shame uh, if you know, if you can make it into art somehow. And so I don't get embarrassed or ashamed as as often. And when I do, it doesn't last very long. And, and I'm, then I get excited because I want to talk about it uh, mm-hmm. to other people. So the shame cycle, you know, continues because there is something that happened like that that I talked about on stage. And you know, to, to quote your podcast name, someone just had an, Oh no, look on their face in the audience. They put their head in their hands and looked away from me as I was talking about. So then I'm causing shame for other people. So it's, uh, it's kind of exciting to live in that area. (laughs) Yeah. You really, um, 
yeah, that's kind of your thrive zone. That's where you, <laughs> that's where you've decided to, to make, to, uh, put down roots. Absolutely. But as far as who I was before, uh, I'm as a, as an ally, you will understand this. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents are immigrants. Uh, mm-hmm. they, my English wasn't my first language there. It's, it's kind of a common thing for people to be embarrassed of their parents and also, in addition to that, if they speak another language, eat a different kind of food, dress a certain way that is culturally not the mainstream. Mm-hmm. As a kid, you tend to be embarrassed of everything that yeah. they do uh, two, three, four times as much. And then you sort of grow out of it and you're like, my parents weren't embarrassing. They were legit cool. And mm-hmm. it's society that makes fun of food that tastes and smells amazing. And they say it's stinky or look at these cool outfits that my parents have. And, you know, people are wearing, you know, uh, Patagonia fleeces with like skinny jeans. That's boring and embarrassing. (laughs) So uh, you learn to look back on that and be like, wow, that all that shame and embarrassment I felt that should have been shame that society took on, not me. Right. And, and I, on behalf of, um, you know, white American society, um, I, I would like to apologize for all the shame that you were put through, uh, in, you are in, tremendous in Thank you. to your culture. Cause that is unfair. Thank you. You're, you are so sweet. And I really <laughs> do dig that you're such an ally here. I oh, mean, and, and it's, it. it's, it's amazing. So <laughs> I feel like you are, you are right. And now it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool to eat go out to like a hole in the wall. Now all the white people are appropriating it. Yes. Yes. So how, how the turntables. Yeah. And now you get to, you get to be the one that's like, um, you're not actually using any, uh, cumin in your, in your curry. And you need to get on that. I don't know if cumin is a common curry. I Uh, love cumin. You, I just know, I think it's a, it's a staple in Indian cooking, right? Absolutely. Some people don't like it and I don't want to shame those people, but Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it so much. And uh, thanks for giving a shout out to cumin because a lot of people shout out turmeric first. And Mm -hmm. I don't like the turmeric gets so much attention when cumin is is understated and less cool, but is very delicious. To me, turmeric doesn't have a crazy flavor. It doesn't. Cumin is very distinct to me. Like cumin, cumin asserts itself in a way that turmeric only does in its color. Yeah. In in different foods. It's the paprika of the Indian spice world. Oh my gosh. That's a great analogy. And I I also like that turmeric has privilege because of its color and you called it out. Yes. And And that's what we're all about here. I don't know what <laughs> is, is making sure that, you know, everyone acknowledges their privileges, uh, spices included. And let me say that I have to acknowledge my privilege with shaming and embarrassment. Sometimes I cause people shame on oh, purpose. No. Yes. On purpose. Okay, yes. Now and I want to admit this on the podcast because uh, on my album, there is a moment where someone is uh, inappropriate and saying something out loud from the audience. Heckling, as it were. Yes. And many people have different ways of dealing with hecklers. And I chose to shame the person. And I'm Mm -hmm. not saying that's the only way you should do it or it's the right way. 
but I got a lot of satisfaction of making that person feel embarrassment. So I have to own that for myself. Well, and here's what I will say. I think that, you know, I would argue that that person put themselves in the position to like, they, they were goading you for a reaction Mm. clearly. And if not you, then someone else who is in the audience or, or something like that. And so like you responding to it is just giving them what they wanted, but it just didn't go in their favor. And I don't think that that's purposefully causing someone shame. I think that that's like giving an appropriate reaction to someone's outburst. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this happens a lot. I mean, or this is happening more and more uh, as we're going back to live events. There were there were I did a show in San Francisco with the very liberal and progressive and outspoken Greg Proops. Mm -hmm. And he had some people in the audience that were anti-mask Trump supporters who yelled out, let's go, Brandon. And he handled it amazingly well. He's the king of shaming people who are stupid in the audience. Um, And so I enjoyed watching it too. And Greg, Greg Proops is, uh, he was on whose line is it anyway for many years, right? He was. And he, and sometimes people see that and they're like, oh, what a family friendly guy. And he like, he, He's he's not like vulgar or crude or anything, but he's outspoken. He will talk about things that are not necessarily family friendly. He's political. He's a feminist. Mm-hmm. He's he's just really out there. And I and I really enjoy him. So mm-hmm. people need to Google the comedians before they see them or they're going to embarrass themselves. And if they say something yeah, out yeah. loud, they're going to get booted from the audience. It's also funny how like the billing of like uh, or the reputation of being like family friendly, like all these like MAGA, let's go Brandon people are like are like, well, then he's just like us. And it's <laughs> like, you're no, 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 no. You guys are not family friendly. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like like you guys are are pro like you guys you guys were like on Alex Jones's side. You know what I'm saying? Like you're not the family friendly team here. Yes. And you know, that brings up an interesting point. It's almost really hard right now in our culture to get those people to feel any kind of shame Mm -hmm. or humiliation or embarrassment. Yeah. And maybe I'm a bad person and a bad liberal for thinking this. I wish they would feel a little shame, but all the studies suggest that if you try to make someone feel shameful or embarrassed of who they are, what they believe in, they're actually not going to change. So maybe that's not the right way to get them to change their mind, but they have no embarrassment, none. Well, and yeah, it's just such a shame that like the answer is compassion to people who would rather see us dead. <laughs> it's, it's just like, it's, right. it's just like such a bummer that it's like, oh, oh no, I got to be nice to the Nazi. Okay. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. I didn't realize. I didn't realize that I had to be nice to the Nazi. Yeah. But I don't know. I, uh, I mean, like I, uh, I watched um, the Ted talk with the uh, the woman who left the Westboro Baptist church and, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, and it was like, she was the daughter of the, of the big wig. And she, uh, ended up marrying like a Jewish guy who she met on Twitter. And like, she, uh, she wrote a book. I'm forgetting what her name is off the top of my head, but she has a big Ted talk. And it's like, she was like, you know, yeah. And he didn't shame me. Like we just talked. I'm like, Fuck. wow. I gotta, I gotta like, I don't know, but that's a whole, Listen, I was a film major, so I'm not I'm not qualified to speak on any of this, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I think all of the the good people that I listen to and the podcasts and the self-help, they tell you not to shame others. Mm-hmm. They tell you that shame is not healthy. You don't want to 
hold on to that. So I, so I guess I came onto this podcast to say sometimes as a comedian, I enjoy seeing people feeling ashamed and I enjoy participating in it. So I'm contributing to this culture that's not healthy. Well, I mean, and, and no, but I think that like, at least in my personal anecdotal experience, there have definitely been times where I have been sort of like, I think called out on certain behaviors or certain Mm. things that I've said, and I have felt Mm. shame about that. And that has been an excellent motivator for me to change my behavior, whatever it Mm. was, Mm -hmm. um, you know, particularly like, and, and, you know, granted, like this was stuff that would happen. It would be like, you know, I was in high school and I made some comment and one of my classmates was like, that's not cool or something like that. And, and, uh, and it didn't happen often. I'm not like a terrible person or anything. It's just, it, it happened occasionally. And, um, it, uh, so it, it was never being like, you know, shamed on social media or anything like that, which I can only imagine is like, probably not helpful in the Mm. grand scheme. Um, at least I haven't seen an example of it being super helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Cause people are so embarrassing that it's like, how can I, and especially, I don't know. Are you on TikTok? Uh, I, I see a lot of TikTok things, but I'm not mm-hmm. actively participating. Right. Fair enough. Um, it is kind of a cesspool, but, um, <laughs> As the, is all social media yes, in general. Yes, yes, but it it happens all the time on TikTok where you know the it feels like it happens at lightning speed. It's like I'll I'll log on you know at night after being off for the day and I'll see that like everyone's mad at some person and I'm like I'm I feel like I'm like ten chapters behind. Like I have no idea. Like like wait, why don't we like this person anymore? And, right. and it's just, it's, it's always happening just because of, you know, the social media surveillance state. So I, 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 I think that's a really interesting point because, um, what's her name? Uh, Marjorie Taylor green mm-hmm. just said that, um, Nancy Pelosi was part of the, uh, uh, police and <laughs> there's no amount of shame that she like, she's not going to feel any shame. She won't even try to correct her behavior. And as yeah. someone who learned English as a second language, there were often times where I was embarrassed that I didn't know the right word or I said the mm-hmm. wrong thing or kids would make fun of me. And then I learned. So it's interesting that these conservative Republicans, when they say and do wrong things, they're just like, whatever. And uh, well, so yeah, because I, I think I think shame can't fix stupid. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's. It's like, and I think that, you know, just because of how uh, particularly like Republican politics has gone since basically like Reagan, um, it's, it's like every attempt to sort of like correct or discuss is taken as sort of like, you know, uh, this, this like censorship thing, Mm -hmm. which, and, and so the reaction to that is always one of defensiveness, which means, and it's just, it's completely illogical in my opinion, but yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like in the, in the time, the few times in high school where maybe you made a comment or mm-hmm. got something wrong, you felt shame, but you were also not so defensive that you doubled down and you're like, oh man, okay, well, I yeah, won't yeah. act that way or, you know, be that way or anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But Moving away from the sociological implications. Okay, yes, of course. This is this is your podcast, not my TED talk, right? No, and and listen, if uh, I'd be happy to do that, but 
to get to the sort of stories part, I'd love to yeah. hear about, you know, you said you had a whole, a whole list of different, even types of stories that you could yes. tell. So I'm very interested to see what you kind of landed on. So I'll, I'll give you uh, more than you want, <laughs> probably. <laughs> I'll kind of describe my evolution of embarrassment and shame and oh no's. Uh-huh. And I'll tell a couple of um, uh, anecdotes and then a couple of stories. Perfect. So as I mentioned, uh, as a kid, I was constantly, I think, embarrassing my parents because I had behavior problems and uh, m- teachers would call my mom and uh, say, your kid did this again. I had to give your kid a timeout again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? Like there's a lot of, I'm not a parent, but there are a lot of people who say that parents get shamed for their kids. And so they, they were really confused because they're like, we love this kid. We're giving her food and I, we don't know why she's acting this way. So it wasn't just like I would act up. Like it was things like, you know, I would steal the jackets of the other children and hold them for ransom and not give them (laughs) to them. So it was like kind of scary behavioral stuff like that. And uh, another time this kid said that he was my boyfriend. And at the time, which was kindergarten, I wasn't seeing anyone. Mm -hmm. So I punched him in the face. (laughs) And my mom uh, was embarrassed, of course, and horrified. And also I carpooled with that family. So they uh, kicked me out of the carpool. Um, There was another time where I told a lot of jokes and I got a timeout. And then they called me into the principal's office. And I said that I used my time to think of new jokes. And then I got detention. So there were things like that that were causing constant embarrassment. Like I would sing the theme song to commercials in the supermarket, but it Mm -hmm. would only be for like Tampax or (laughs) um, feminine hygiene products. And, uh, very catchy. Yes, they are catchy. They, 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 they get in your head. And I think because as a kid, I would see it and there was some kind of shame associated with it. I wanted to reclaim that. So I would (laughs) sing these songs about the tampon, like Kotex or you know, whatever their jingle was, mm-hmm. uh, I would sing it really loud and off key and I would sing it to people who would walk by. And uh, it was it was hard for my parents to really discipline me or deal with me. And so I caused a tremendous amount of embarrassment for them. But the tables do turn and then mm-hmm. they became very embarrassing for a while. And especially when my grandmother moved in with us. My grandmother had, uh, now we know it's schizophrenia, but at the time, you know, this is this is not the kind of shaming that I like, no, mental no. health shaming. So uh, at the time, people just called her crazy. And that right. is uh, not the shame that we that is fun and interesting to talk about. No. So I grew up with a grandmother that, you know, was not diagnosed She was also a very loving person who cooked dinner for me and braided my hair. She would play Monopoly with me. Um, If I would watch like uh, music concert things on TV, she would uh, like look at them and be like, who is this Guns N' Roses? Mm -hmm. Uh, Are they in the jungle for real? Like they didn't have parents. Like she really thought that they were raised like like wolves. Because, you know, she didn't understand their, you know, how someone couldn't have good parents. So she was a wonderful person, but she would talk to herself a lot. She would uh, have loud conversations. 
And uh, sometimes my friends would see my grandmother doing these things. And I don't feel that way now, but at the time I was really ashamed and I would invent excuses for why my grandma was like that. I would say my grandma was an actress and she was rehearsing lines. Mm -hmm. And I would say uh, that uh, she was saying a prayer to uh, the Hindu gods. And because we have so many, she would have to take breaks and change her voice because, you know, there's different gods and then sometimes I would be Which like, is a, an amazing cover to Americans, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Like they know what's up. Yeah. yeah. And, and at the same time, she was such a loving person. And this is why like, I don't like stigmatizing mental health because you can be an amazing human being that at the time she was an older person that didn't go to therapy and we, and she didn't speak English as her first language and mm-hmm. she didn't feel comfortable with that. One time um, I went trick-or-treating with my mom and my mom told my grandma to stay at home and give out candy. And she was like, this is going to be fine. And she ran out of candy. So she started inviting families into the house and making tea for them and having like cookies and biscuits. And like, she'd be like, have some, take some with you. And, you know, people don't want loose cookies in their bag. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of embarrassing. But now that I look back on it, I'm like, what a sweet woman. She didn't want anyone to go home without, you know, candies and cookies. And so she was so nice. And, and this is embarrassing for me. Uh, We, you know, we lived in the suburbs. Now I live in an apartment. So Mm -hmm. the Jehovah's Witnesses don't come to my door, but Mm -hmm. in the suburbs of Ohio, they do come to your door. And after a while, I would just be like, let me just tell my grandma to answer the phone mm-hmm. and or the answer the door. Sorry. So she would answer the door and she would talk to them in broken English for like an hour and they would never come back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that's kind of shameful to use your grandma's mental illness and lack of uh, English as their first language to get rid of other religious people you don't like. <laughs> You know, I think on the list, uh, I think, you know, I hear you and I understand that feeling, but I don't think it's the worst thing you could have done because <laughs> they're so, annoying. Yeah, they were, they were annoying and, uh, and they, and they, uh, you know, probably got annoyed and mm-hmm. left and never came to her. I mean, they must've, you know, like kind of like the Passover Seder, they must've had like some symbol, like, don't go to this house. You know, they will, they have a lady there that will really bore you. Yeah. Talk your ear off. In retrospect, I don't feel embarrassment and shame and I feel a lot of compassion, but yeah, I was super embarrassed of of my grandmother Mm -hmm. and, um, and the foods that we had and the outfits that my family wore and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then when you get to a certain age and you want to rebel, uh, you do things that are kind of embarrassing for everyone, for you, for the school, for your parents. So I tried to rebel in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents are vegetarian. So I was like, I'm going to eat meat. And they're like, that's fine. Do whatever you like. We just right. eat vegetarian food at home. And so then I tried, I ate Taco Bell and Burger King and, uh, Chick-fil-A. And I was like, this food is gross. There's no cumin involved. Yeah, yeah, so I just came back to eating Indian food. I was like, this is delicious. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I like the food here. So that didn't really work. And then I tried to rebel in high school by telling my friends that we should go uh, drinking. 
And they're like, oh yeah, why don't we just drink at my place? And I was like, well, that's not fun. And they're like, yeah, my mom said they would rather us be safe at home drinking than out at a party or trying to get in trouble with a fake ID. So that kind of didn't work. Um, So I tried to rebel in like lots of different ways and it just kind of backfired and I didn't, you know, feel good about it. So I found one way when I was 15, I was living in Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, I got my driver's permit, which is just a paper test that you have to do. And the paper test, you get a driver's permit that looks just like a driver's license, but then there's fine print that says no driving or, you know, permit only, but it's so small, you can't see it. So I was on this math team tournament with my best friend, Kevin, at the time, and um, he, you know, he's out and uh, successful and amazing now, but he was obviously closeted and he didn't have a lot of friends. And he, um, what a, a mathlete in Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> yes, no yes, way. exactly. <laughs> so I found him very charming mm-hmm. and I liked the weird music he listened to. And I liked that he put hairspray in his bangs. And, um, and I was like, I want to be this man's friend. He seems mm-hmm. super cool. So we hung out together and I was like, Hey, Kevin, my parents won't let me drive. Cause I just have a permit and you have a license so why don't you teach me how to drive? So we ha- we got a golf cart at the middle of this math tournament, which was in Florida. Mm-hmm. And uh, he drove it around and showed me. And then he said, well, why don't you try? And I got nervous and I backed it into a parking lot and smashed into a truck. Right. Uh, and then I fled the scene. <laughs> Your first... <laughs> my teens first hit and run. Right. And uh, leaving a gay guy to answer for me. So Mm -hmm. not a high point in my career as an LGBTQ ally, as a queer ally, I'm a straight person. I should have not put my troubles on a gay person. So that's what, that's what, that's why I need to march in the parade next year. Mm -hmm. So if you um, march in the, as a, as an LGBTQ, um, uh If you march in the parade next year, then, I mean, we pretty much erase all past transgressions. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, So I will do that. I I actually have marched in the pride parade a few times and I've gone to Folsom Street Fair. So I think that's being a true. I've taken many of my guy friends to the proctologist as well. So that that I think a metaphor. Or is no, that... no, no, literally like they, they, one of them was like, Hey, I got to go. Will you come with me? It's mm-hmm. kind of embarrassing. And I tried to destigmatize. I was like, Hey, this happens to every, I mean, not me, but it happens right. to everyone, you know, I'll come with you and we'll make it fun. And proctologists have very comfortable cushions uh, because they have to. And, yeah, you know, sense. he's, he's fine now, but um, I'm that, I'm that ally that will take you to your STI test or, you know, diagnostic or your mm-hmm. treatment. So I'm that straight. So uh, I will do that. So at the time I abandoned my gay friend. So sure, that was sure. bad. And uh, because the golf cart was in his name, the people affiliated with this uh, hotel complex we were staying in, uh, you know, came and found him. And they were like, we're looking for that Arab girl that you were with. Mm-hmm. And he tried to stand up for me. And he's like, well, actually, uh, the Middle East is very different from, yeah. you know, uh, South Asia. But, you know, he's a he's a nerdy 
queer guy in Alabama and I'm a nerdy Indian kid in Alabama. So he was right. trying to, you know, stand up for me. And they were like, where's that Arab? Let's go get her, you know, like, so, so finally they found me and uh, it was embarrassing because they told my teachers and then they, then I had to sit out of the tournament on the sidelines Mm. when I was like, oh, I really want to be solving this calculus problem and look at the shame I'm going through it, you know, and I had to like um, pay a fee, which came out of the budget for the trip Mm. and, um, and then someone at the school found out about it and they wrote about it in the school paper. So I was, you know, embarrassed for like weeks at a time, but uh, he and I lost touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was walking around in the Castro in San Francisco sure, and I sure. was at the Safeway and I see this incredibly hot guy walking around and I go, he's not just hot. He looks familiar, which is mm-hmm. creepy. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to him. Cause I think I know him. And I was like, uh, uh, and then I was like, no, I have to talk to him. And I said, Hey, uh, Kevin. And he goes, Oh my gosh, Daya Lakshmi Narayanan. And I go, you remember my name? He goes, Oh my God, do I look the same as I did in seventh grade? I go, no, you don't have hairspray in your bangs. <laughs> and so then we, um, reconnected and, uh, he, it turns out he, he was, he went to Columbia he was out on his resume. He became like a very successful lawyer. He um, and he, li- you know, moved to San Francisco, and we reconnected. And uh, he does little things like he calls my parents and helps my mom um, with her. Uh, you know, she, her English is not her first language, so with her uh, like retirement benefits, because he has a very good white voice that's very commanding. Right. right so right. Uh, that that story ended up good and. He tells that story all the time and it brings me joy instead of embarrassment because I'm like, now I have a really amazing friend as a result. Yeah, that's lovely. That's a really lovely, uh, you know, what a coincidence to run into someone in, you know, a city like San Francisco. (laughs) Yeah. Run into your gay guy, best friend in San Francisco. I mean, it's kind of like, like all Asians come to California because you have a relative in San Francisco, right. Sunnyvale. It's, it's kind of the, the capital for people who are othered. So yeah. of course you're going to run into your Indian friend from seventh grade or your mm-hmm. you know, uh, gay guy friend, you know, that you wrecked his golf cart. <laughs> so that's kind of what happens in San Francisco in the Castro mm-hmm. Safeway. Well, there you go. I got to come visit. Out. I got to come visit then. Cause that Please sounds, uh, that sounds fun. Please, I will show you the sights and sounds of all uh, queer historic movements like Compton's Cafeteria yes. and uh, a, a place called Harvey's in the Castro, where I did embarrass an audience member mm. and he ended up getting kind of violent. And I can pause because I don't know if you want me to tell that story or not. Um, you know, only if you feel like oh, here's here's what I would say. If it's if it ends in sort of like a funny way. Yes. Then, then it's fine. But if it, if it's kind of going to end and we're both going to be like, oh man, then no, that's fine. Yeah. It ends in a funny way, but I'll pause to see if you have any questions about embarrassing story. Number, number, I don't know which one was that I shared. Well, (laughs) um, okay. So I, I, the note that I have about your grandmother, uh, specifically is I do think that the greatest weapon against shame is language and community. Mm. And so I think when you say like, oh, we didn't, we would now call it, uh, you know, that your grandmother had schizophrenia, but not knowing it at the time, it's like this idea that like 
what is happening to your grandma, like you, you have no idea what it is Mm -hmm. and you have no idea like how to help and how to do all this stuff. And so you're just kind of like, um, you know, you're, you're really in unknown territory. And I think that it's, um, I think it's very true. Like, I think it's, you know, um, like, I think whenever you're in a space where you're feeling like, not only do I feel super alone in this, but I can't even describe what this is. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of like where, where shame really thrives. Like, you know, cause you think about, you know, like, you know, like speaking of, you know, like closet gay kids. Mm -hmm. And I think that like the idea that like, they don't have the language for it. and, And I mean, thank God for the internet now because of that, but like not having the language for it, feeling like they're the only one feeling like they're so different from other people. And clearly that to me, that's where kind of like your shame about your grandmother kind of came from, you know what I mean? Yeah. Is like this feeling like you're the only one in the whole entire world experiencing this thing. And not only that, but you don't even know how to explain the thing that you're experiencing. Thank you for saying that. And that's so um, affirming and very sweet. And as you're talking, it reminded me that it's not her fault. It wasn't, mm-hmm. and she's passed away, but it wasn't her fault. It's, it's nobody's fault uh, to have a schizophrenia diagnosis, which she eventually got and she got on meds, but it was later in life because in my grandmother's generation, there was a lot of stigma. And part of the stigma came that she was a widow. Mm-hmm. She lost her husband. And she got married very young. And by the time she was 29, she was widowed with five kids. Uh, my grandfather died in some, you know, freak swimming accident, but, you know, in a culture and community like, you know, India, where my, my grandmother grew up, not having a husband is very stigmatizing. It's shameful. And I'm like, it's not like my grandma murdered my grandfather. Yeah. yeah. She, I mean, she, like she, she wasn't participating. Yeah. She didn't become a widow because she killed the guy. Like yeah, it was yeah. through no fault of her own, but it's so shameful to be a single woman. Uh, it's so shameful to lose your husband that, that, that was one of the triggers for her lifelong uh, mental health challenges because it's not always just, you know, this is how your brain is. It's a chemical imbalance or this is the, sometimes society can be kind of shitty and yeah, it yeah. exacerbates your symptoms. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, none of it exists in a vacuum, you know, like it's all, it's all interconnected and it all affects everything. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like, you know, if your if your grandmother was a widow with five kids before she was 30, I mean, God knows she didn't have time to like, you know, take a bath and read a book for a second. Exactly. You know, it's like, there's a, there's a, there's a gajillion reasons why, um, X, Y, Z can happen, you know? And so I think that, and I think, you know, one of the reasons that I like doing the podcast so much is that I feel like it, it sort of creates this space where like, you know, uh, people tell these stories. And then I feel like people listening are like, Oh my God, that's so funny. I've never heard of that. But like, I like that story that is, is a source of like, you know, embarrassment or like cringe or whatever for one person is a source of real, like positivity for another person, or, you know, like kind of just like airing out things that like, uh, you know, are just kind of like, you know, funny in different ways, but also could be very painful in different ways and sort of like creating that, um, creating that space to like, be able to kind of talk about it openly and kind of be like, listen, like, you're not the only one who's like shit their pants on a bus. You know what I mean? Like that sort of thing. And not saying that you have, 
or, or anyone has, but like, it, it's kind of like, look like this thing that you, that you like carry at, with such significance in like your life story. Mm-hmm. It, it is, it is, it makes total sense why it's significant, but like, you're not alone in it. Yeah. That sort of thing. Right. And uh, I, I all, I wish that uh, we could go back in time and tell people mm-hmm. that they're okay. And, um, you know, we've come a long way uh, in the last two or three decades with destigmatizing mental health and mental illness. But it, I feel sad for people who uh, grew up thinking that they were broken or wrong or, and like you said, like the, the queer kid who grows up in Alabama, who's really nerdy. He, I mean, I know for a fact that this friend of mine, he believed, I mean, he had Southern Baptist parents. Mm-hmm. So he just grew up thinking he was just abnormal and mm-hmm. something was wrong. And, uh, you know, he also liked science and imagine like, you know, being in the Bible belt and, you know, we kind of found each other because, yeah, for sure. and so I do think well, we joked about allyship in the beginning, but I do think that what makes you feel different and isolated, uh, that's why solidarity among people who are different is important because, uh, straight people, have to support white people need to support and any kind of marginalization, our strength is in numbers. So what helps uh, a gay kid in Alabama is also going to help a little Indian kid in Alabama. For sure. Yeah. Especially if they're both on the same mathlete team and accidentally just backed up a, a golf cart into uh, a truck. Kevin was allowed to compete, but I Ah. had to sit on the sidelines. (laughs) Well, well, and you know what? And maybe that's white, white and male privilege at work. You know, it's all, it's all intersectional. Yes. Even though I'm better at math, he ended up becoming a lawyer. So he wasn't probably as good as math as I was. So yes, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, he's, 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 he's wonderful. And I care very deeply about him, but yeah. uh, I, I wanted to ask you at this point, should I tell the story that ends up funny about uh, dealing with a heckler or should I tell a story about how I once embarrassed myself because I tried too hard as an ally. I think, I think you should go with the second, because I feel like that really goes with the theme of kind of what we've been kind of bantering about. I feel like it's very on theme for the podcast. And I think we'll have time for that story and then we'll kind of wrap it up. Okay. Sounds good. So, um, you know, I, I had, uh, queer friends in Alabama and if you can find queer people in Alabama, you can find them anywhere. So right. I have uh, I have chosen to befriend lots of people uh, across the gender, the you know orientation spectrum. So I kind of like having friends who are different from me. I don't like mm-hmm. to have all Indian friends. I don't like to have all comedian friends. I don't even like to have one comedian friend. <laughs> so uh, so um, well, I, is a comedian friend really a friend? <laughs> <laughs> There's someone that's just taking a booking opportunity. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> so they're not a friend. They're a strain on the resources. So, mm-hmm. um, so I think it's because I didn't uh, overtly have like a homophobic vibe to me uh, <laughs> that that people felt safe telling me things. Mm-hmm. So in college, I had this very very close friend, and he is okay with me sharing all of this because I've talked about it on stage, and he said mm-hmm. it's fine. So my friend, so I met this like super handsome guy uh, at a party and I tried dancing with him and he ran away. Sure. So I was like, okay, he's gay. That's, that's fine. And Mm -hmm. that sounds conceited. Like, oh, who wouldn't want to dance with me? 
but I, I knew it was, it was, um, it was new order. He was enjoying dancing. And then I came up and I just knew. So, um, so it was, it was a sort of visceral repulsion, not with you specifically, but with your, uh, your gender presentation. Yes, exactly. He was not into it and that's fine. But I, but I liked something about him, even if it was never going to turn into anything romantic or sexual. I just liked that he was nerdy. This is a theme. Uh, right. Nerdy, smart, had a good sense of humor. Uh, so we became close friends. And at some point I was like, hey, uh, Eric, is there anything you want to share with me? You know, are you exploring different parts of your identity? He's like, no, it's just because I have a high voice and I have a sweater collection that everyone thinks I'm gay. And I was like, well, yeah, but also you threw a birthday party for the Bastille. And that's uh, also, he goes, no, I just am a lover of French culture. So I I mean, yes, I said, okay, well, I'm not going to push on this. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is not for me to out someone. Uh, I still love him. And so we had a class project due. I'll love you even if you're straight. Yeah, I love you even if you are straight and you you won't dance with me. I still love you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a class project and he uh, suggested that we do some jello shots while we were doing our class project, which we got an A on. And while we did jello shots, he wanted us to watch this uh, show called Vegas in Space mm-hmm. about these uh, drag queens that go to space. And in the making of the movie, they didn't have enough money. So they, it became black and white during the second half. And um, it was great to watch it on jello shots, but mm-hmm. I was like, are you trying to tell me anything? Uh, maybe I shouldn't push this again. Maybe I shouldn't ask. So I kind of just let it go. But at this time, Miss Marple had a lot of clues. Uh, sure. Yes. So, so, but I'm just, again, I'm just like, okay, you don't want to push something like this. So, so then I said, Hey, uh, Eric, are you interested in anyone? Do you want to talk about it? And he was like, yes, I'm interested in your friend, Louisa. Do you want to mm-hmm. fix me up with her? Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, I'll ask. So yeah. she, uh, she said, fine. Uh, they went on a date and uh, she made a move and he he ran out of the dorm. Right. And uh, I was like, hey, you know, I, I heard it didn't go so well. Do you want to talk about it? He was like, no, I I you know, I, I just I had a meeting and I had to go. I right. was like, OK, well, that's fine. Um, any, anyway, Louisa would end up uh, coming out as queer herself. So ah. it was at least a good match that I made. Yes. No wonder, no wonder he was interested in her. Yes. So He's like, I, she probably won't want to like make out or anything. Right. But she, she, I mean, you know, she, she may have, I don't know, sure. but yeah, I, yeah. I just know the date didn't, didn't go well. So this was happening. And, uh, I came to San Francisco, he was on the East coast. And I just remember at some point he just was really sad. And I was like, I don't like seeing my friend this sad. He's so smart and vibrant and thoughtful and caring and a good cook. And he knows everything about Vegas and space and the Bastille. I want him to be happy. So I was like, why don't you come visit me in San Francisco? This is a great town for you. Right. So I uh, arranged uh, like a coming out weekend for him, Mm -hmm. except he hadn't come out. Right. So. I uh, arranged a dinner for us 
at this um, fondue restaurant with shirtless guys wearing lederhosen. Sure. And after that, I got us like second row tickets to see Margaret Cho. And then I was like, you're doing, you're doing all but winking at the camera. Yes. This is, this is highly embarrassing because first of all, this is trying straight people don't do this. This Mm -hmm. is very embarrassing for all of us. Stop trying to help. Um, So, and then the icing on the cake was, I said, you know, Eric, I want to take you to the special thing. It's like a Renaissance fair, but more leather. And Mm -hmm. he was like, what is this? And I go, it's called Folsom Street Fair. And it's like a street carnival. Right. So we go to the Folsom Street Fair. And at the time, he's wearing a polo shirt that's buttoned up. And uh, we go and we see. And for the listeners who are unfamiliar, Anna, do you want to say what Folsom Street Fair is? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, you don't know? Oh, I thought it was world famous. It's basically in the leather district of San Francisco where... It's leather daddies. It's, um, sure. you know, whips. It, it's, you know, all the things that restraints like, you know, and it's, yeah, it's like famous. super kinky leather stuff. Yes. Just and it's very, very male. There's not a lot of women that come. Anything goes, anything goes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I am largely ignored in a place like that, which is great. Yeah. So you can wear like a skimpy outfit. No, no guy is going to you know harass you or whatever. They'll celebrate you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I have been to the Folsom street fair before and I'm a vegetarian. So at one time I got a vegan hot dog and I was eating it and I received the best cat calls from leather daddies. They'd be mm-hmm. like, you get that hot dog, eat it, girl. Yes. Get get." And it was so affirming in a way that I'd never been affirmed before. So yeah. I was like, Eric will like Folsom Street. People will be affirming of him. Mm-hmm. So we go and he sees all these things. And it's also during the summer and it's very hot. He ends up having to take off the button up polo shirt and he didn't want me to see, but underneath it, he was wearing a David Hasselhoff, like a uh, muscle tee. Sure. And, uh, and he got a lot of attention. And after that, um, he tells me that experience, uh, made him stay in the closet for another eight years. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> he was like, I respect what you were trying to do. I hated it, but I yeah. respect it. So finally, when he did come out to me, I apologized. And Mm -hmm. I said, that was so, that was too much. I should have just respected your timeline. I should have respected that there was just something you just didn't want to talk to. We were like best friends. And, um, and he, um, he forgave me. He said uh, it was okay. We still talk about it to this day. Mm -hmm. And uh, when he was going through a bad breakup with his boyfriend, he called me in the middle of the night and he's like, I don't know who else I can go to. I'm scared to be with this person. And so six foot tall, Eric slept on my fold out bed for two weeks until he found another apartment. So I feel like in the end, that is allyship. You, right. you, you, you don't out someone by taking them to a leather fair. You do small acts of kindness that's going to support them in their life. Yes. I think that if, if, I, if anyone takes away anything from today. That that's what it should be. Um, no, that's, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, it's well-intentioned and I mean, 
you, I like, what year was this? Would you say that like the Folsom street thing happened? Oh gosh, this was probably like 10 years ago when I first moved okay. to San Francisco. It was like, you know, super gay. I mean, it's still gay, but it's, it's lost. I mean, gentrification, et cetera, right. et cetera. But it was just super gay and proud and, uh, you know, shameless, which is yeah. great. Yeah. I think that, you know, there, there, there is an, an argument to be made that like the sort of dialogue about how to support like queer people as like a straight person has made a lot of progress in the last 10 years. Right. And, uh, you know, I feel like, I mean, like was RuPaul's Drag Race on 10 years ago? I don't think it was. No, but we you know knew what I mean? Paul like, was. Yeah. yeah. But mm-hmm. I think that there has been like a real like cultural shift in that way. And right. I mean, you know, it, it, if you two are square, then that's kind of all that matters. Um, right. But I, it was a valiant effort that you made um, and it just didn't work. <laughs> just. No, people have their own timelines. Just yes. respect. Yes. Don't just because I mean, this whole idea of gaydar is really offensive, I think. But, mm-hmm. you know, you know, when your friends are unhappy and you know when they're not telling you something and you're, it's not your job to coax them. So I sort of embarrassed myself. But again, my friend uh, loves me and cares about me. And while mm-hmm. he was staying with me those couple of weeks when he was going through a hard time, I had to go on this date where I said yes, but I didn't want to go. So he helped me put together an outfit that made me look nice, but not sexual. So that mm-hmm. this person would not ask me out on a second date. So that's how he supported me <laughs> right. as a man and as a woman who was going into this uncomfortable position. Yeah. Well, it seems like, you know, you two have a great friendship and great friendships can survive a lot. Yes. Um, they can survive the Folsom Street leather fair. And listen, and that's the true test. Um, but, How embarrassing uh, is that? Uh, as a queer person, Anna, and as a person who's heard many embarrassing stories, that that is pretty. That's pretty. That's pretty tough. That's yeah. pretty tough. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, you couldn't have been more in your face about like, I know you're gay. <laughs> Tell me now. <laughs> like right. there, there was no besides going to like I don't know Provincetown or yes. something like. Yes. And, and I mean, if you can't get to, I mean, and I think San Francisco, especially at that time was probably gayer than Provincetown. Um, super, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's tough, but it's resolved, which I think is the important part because many people come on and they're like, I've never said this story. I have no idea how this is going to go over. I'm like, okay, here we go. (laughs) Um, but this it's, it's already over. So now it's just kind of like, Jesus Christ, I can't believe I did that. Yeah. Yeah. I've never tried to out anyone after that. So I learned my lesson. You learned your lesson and that's, and, and sometimes shame can teach a lesson. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I am still a fan of Margaret Cho. Mm -hmm. I do like that fondue place with the guys in the later hosen. Mm -hmm. And my friend ended up volunteering at Folsom street fairs because he was part of a gay softball team that had a booth there. So in the end, I feel I did make an impact. (laughs) Yes. I think, I think, you know, uh, there, it wasn't, it wasn't a negative experience per se. It was for him because he didn't come out for another eight years, but for, but for, but for me, it was, it was, it was a good teaching moment. Mm -hmm. Well, and sometimes that's all you can ask for. Um, (laughs) 
But anyway, uh, Daya, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. We've had such a lovely time. Um, thank you. And I would like to now give you this opportunity to plug your very exciting new album that's coming out. Thank you so much, uh, Anna. The album is called Diatribe, which is a, a rant, a um, uh, kind of a, 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 a lecture, an essay, but also it can mean a funny way of uh, describing those things. It's a play off Daya, my name. Uh, the album cover is a brown woman in a bunch of yoga poses, which is me because mm -hmm. we're taking it back. We're taking back yoga and uh, it's available. The full album is available February 25th, available for uh, pre-order before then. And it was recorded live in uh, San Francisco. So uh, go to um, you'll you'll put you'll put the stuff in yeah. the uh, in the description. So, yeah, you'll you'll find a way to get the get it on uh, Apple Music. Uh, Bandcamp. You can also order vinyl if you're old mm -hmm. school. Oh, very cool. Yeah. And so this, uh, if, if you're listening to this podcast on Thursday, February 24th, uh, then it comes out tomorrow. So get your pre-orders in while you can, uh, today. Um, but if not, then it's available everywhere tomorrow, uh, which is super exciting. And so, yeah, uh, like I said, I'll put the, um, I'll put the link and stuff in the bio on the podcast side. Um, I will be sending you some stickers if you would like as a thank you for being on, oh. on the episode. And if you're not yes. done and you want stickers, I have great news for you. All you need to do is become a patron. It's three bucks a month. Link is in the bio wow. and there's exclusive um, video content. And uh, I'm also going to start uploading uh, episode transcripts there until I can find like a free place to put them. Um, so if that's something that you're interested in, please do check it out and you get stickers. Um, and then, uh, if you can't do that, we also have a coffee page and the link is in our link tree in the bio. Um, we are at Ono oh the pod on Instagram and Twitter and, uh, Oh no with Anna Campion on TikTok, and, uh, clips and stuff get posted there all the time. Um, so yeah. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple podcasts, please do, uh, take a minute to rate and review. It really helps us in the algorithm and helps us guess, get a ton more cool guests like Daya on. Um, so yeah, thanks. Uh, thank you, Di, again so much. Um, and for everyone else, I will catch you on the flip. I want to give a huge shout out to all of my amazing patrons, Grace Murray, Kira Sears, Jillian Townsend, Schaefer Nelson, Clay Moyhan, Haley Pregnall, Caroline Phelan, Stephen B., and Davidson Norris. You guys are absolutely amazing. You are the reason that this podcast can keep going. And if you're interested in being included in this shout out after every single episode, please do check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash Ono the pod. Ono's theme song was written, performed, and recorded by Katie Stahl and Mackenzie Haight. And the amazing cover art was done by Devante Burse. Uh, at Vontae Burse on all socials, at Designed by Devante on Instagram.